thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Well, friends, welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty, and I'm delighted to have you with me. Although I'm going to have to apologize, I'm going to forgo the topic I've promised, I know, for the last two weeks regarding the hope that we have that our engagement in politics, government, and law is not in vain if we build, and to build rightly, on the only true foundation for all things, the triune God revealed to us in the advent, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I will get to that, but this week I want to build on the foundation we've been laying by dissecting some of the testimony heard this week in the state senate here in Nashville in support of the Marital Contract Recording Act. It was great testimony. And even if you watch the hearing or have seen the videos we released of that testimony, some of it was so fundamental that it bears repeating, and it certainly deserves to be fully digested, both in our heads and in our hearts. So, to begin, I want us to listen to an excerpt from the testimony of Reverend Paul Becker, a Lutheran minister from Kingsport, Tennessee, who drove into town to testify. Now, if you're familiar at all with Martin Luther's Here I Stand speech, before the imperial diet of worms in 1521, you're going to hear him say some things that, that are clearly familiar to what was said there. So let us listen. As a minister of the gospel, I take very seriously all things I endorse, particularly when my signature has public legal consequences. I cannot teach and preach a biblical view of marriage as the lifelong union of one man and one woman, which our Tennessee Constitution also recognizes, and then endorse with my signature a policy or law that redefines marriage contrary to the laws of nature and nature's God. As Martin Luther said before Emperor Charles V, my conscience is captive to the word of God, and my ordination vows do not allow me to fight against the word of God. I support this bill because it allows ministers to solemnize a natural marriage and for that marriage to be proven without me signing documents issued by the state and promulgated by the governor and county clerks that affirm a false definition of marriage. My friends, it is encouraging to me, and I hope it's encouraging to you, to know that there are still some, though I don't think many, ministers in the state of Tennessee, and surely some in other states, who take so seriously the Word of God in relation to civil law and what they attest to in regard to that law before a watching world. In fact, if I can be so bold, I, I would say that those ministers who would not have been willing to come and make such a clear statement before a governmental body and, and, and those who are not willing to withhold their signature from a government document representing a civil law contrary to God's law, may not be building their church work right. And if they're not, they're not exempt 
from what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, just because they're ministers holding an official ministerial capacity. They may be saved, but their work, their church work may be burned up. No matter how many people listen to their preaching or how big their facility is or how many remote locations they have, those pastors may be fooling themselves if they measure the success of their work by these visible things rather than by that which is not seen. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, that's what God sees. Now next, I want to draw attention to another fundamental point Reverend Becker made that, again, cannot be stressed enough, and yet it was not even appreciated by me until last October. Let's listen into what he said. I support this bill because it makes plain to all that biblical natural marriage is among those certain unalienable rights given by our Creator, and that your only job as public servants is to protect and defend our enjoyment of those rights. This bill provides all that by giving legal recognition to natural biblical marriage and legal protection to all such persons desiring to establish such a union and those pastors requested to bless and solemnize them. This statement is so crucial. You see, marriage was given by God as part of the natural created order of things to man and woman. And when civil government says it does not belong to them, except upon grant of permission of the civil government, then civil government has usurped jurisdiction over that which God did not give to them except to protect, and that's it. Now, let me be honest here. As the United States Supreme Court said in the late 1800s, marriage between a man and a woman was viewed as a common law right. And therefore, the court said in the late 1800s, the license laws should not be interpreted as creating a right. Instead, the court said most of the early license laws were enacted to provide for registration and for evidence of the marriage, meaning people needed to know who was married and, and who was not, and that couples needed a way to provide evidence of their marriage should its existence ever come into question. See, think about the situation where even today you move away from home here in Tennessee and, and you go to Alaska and you get married up there. And 30 years later, you have to come back in Tennessee because your father's died and your, your, or your surviving parent has died and, and you have inherited the farm and uh, you, you need to put the title in the name of you and your wife. Well... How are you going to do that? Are you going to fly the pastor in that married you 30 years ago or your best man who may still be living in Alaska? And uh, Well, see, that's what the Supreme Court was talking about. We, we should need to understand that these laws were, were to provide a, a, an ease of evidence should the question arise. So I could get this certificate from the state, and they'd say, okay, the judge would say here in Tennessee, I, I see, y'all are married, so we can put the title in the names of both you and your spouse. But in Obergefell, the Supreme Court decision about marriage, the court ignored that prior precedent 
and instead treated those laws as creating marriage. And, and that interpretation actually would be correct if you no longer believe that marriage exists prior to and independent of any action by civil government. So we have to appreciate that when the biblical worldview regarding marriage was lost sometime between the late 1800s and the early, I would submit, 1970s, well, the Supreme Court's prior interpretation of the license laws as providing evidence went away with it. Now I want to turn in these last several moments of today's episode to the testimony offered by Jeff Schaefer, an attorney uh, who litigated constitutional issues for a number of years before uh, working actually with us on a contract basis some last year and now directing the newly established Hale Institute at New St. Andrews College in Idaho. And I want us to listen to a few clips of his testimony and I want to comment on them to make sure the, the significance of them is fully appreciated. Obergefell's innovation was in disqualifying the husband-wife model as the standard for state licensure of civil marriage. What Mr. Schaefer is saying is the court said that God's law could no longer be a standard by which civil laws could be modeled. That civil law did not have to bring itself into alignment with God's model for marriage. Now let's, let's further explicate this. What the Supreme Court was saying is that civil government's authority does not come from God. Because if it did, its authority and its power would be dependent on God and its makers and the makers of civil law would not be free to do with that authority and power whatever they wished. This is a clear repudiation of the existence or at least the relevance of God to government, to the authority and the power that civil government possesses. And next, he made a comment about what Obergefell did not do. And we need to hear this. The court in Obergefell was not faced with and did not rule on the status of common law marriage, nor does Obergefell otherwise require or authorize the idea that states need abandon the common law recognition that the husband-wife union represents a pre-political reality and is unique and central to the pre-existing family order that state domestic relations law thereafter approaches and reinforces. Now, this statement is important because it made clear to anyone willing to listen that the Obergefell decision did not directly hold that states could not recognize the husband-wife union under common law. The court only held that it could not be the basis for an enacted law creating marriage. And the Marital Contract Recording Act is not creating any marriage. The legislature is not sanctioning any marriage. Now, that's hard for people to get in their head because we're so 
used to the government telling us everything. We've become so statist in our mentality that if the government doesn't define marriage, well, we won't know what it is. It just shows how we've gotten older and perhaps technologically and academically uh, more advanced than our predecessors. But they knew what a marriage was and we don't. Unless the government creates it for us. So, in other words, what Mr. Schaefer is saying is Obergefell itself cannot be controlling precedent for holding the Marital Contract Recording Act unconstitutional. He's not saying it will be held constitutional, but it's not unconstitutional because of what the court did in Obergefell. Now, the other thing I hope that you noticed in what Mr. Schaefer said is that he described the husband-wife union as a pre-political reality. Now, now, don't let the import of those words slip your notice. What Mr. Schaefer is saying is that this husband-wife union exists before government. But notice this. This is what will slip by if we're not careful. He's also noting that the husband-wife marriage relationship is and has a reality to it. It's a real thing. In, in the words of our state constitution, it's an, quote, historical institution. In other words, when a man and woman marry, they're not so much creating something as joining themselves into or participating in something that has a pre-existing reality to it. As I said in an earlier podcast, marriage is a reality that has its own parameters to it, its own given contours that constrain the individuals who participate in it. And you may also recall that I said earlier um, in our series that back in 1972 in Eisenstadt versus Baird, the Supreme Court said something completely different from this that Mr. Schaefer said and that God says about marriage. The court said, the marital couple is not an independent entity with a mind and heart of its own. It has no real existence, in other words. The court went on, it's an association of two individuals, each with a separate intellectual and emotional makeup. Now, now the last part of that statement is true, but not the first part. In other words, what the court is saying is that there's nothing transcendent over and above the two persons, the, the man and the woman, that takes the continuing distinction of persons to form a unity of mutual submission. Now, let me repeat that again. The court was saying there's nothing transcendent over and above the existence of these two distinct persons, the man and the woman at the time in 1972, that allows for the distinction of persons to continue, which is what Eisenstein acknowledged, that they each still have an intellectual and emotional makeup that's separate from each other. But that distinction does not exist now in a form of unity of mutual submission. So do you see in this biblical model of marriage 
that there's a real thing called marriage into which a man and a woman enter, in which they remain distinct as persons, but there is a unity of essence related to this relationship into which they've entered, and it reflects the glory of God that's resident in the Trinity, which is an essence of unity as respects the deity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but a distinction of persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but in which there is mutual submission in respect to function. The Father plans for our salvation and sends the Son. The Son mediates our salvation by taking on a human nature unspoiled by sin. And the Spirit applies the fruits of that mediation. The righteousness the Son has purchased and secured on our behalf to us. What a beautiful picture that marriage is of God. And when we as Christians do not see the glory of God resident in it, but see marriage as only a means of giving expression to sexual desires without guilt and and companionship, our view of marriage has fallen below the glory of God intended to be seen in it and for us to appreciate in it. Now I want to close with one last thing that Jeff said, and this one looks to the future. Nevertheless, prominent legal scholars and advocates have proposed that Obergefell's same-sex redefinition of civil marriage licensing standards requires state law to treat all partner types as equivalent in all respects, even relating to children. This, of course, requires, as these scholars both recognize and promote, the elimination of biology and gender as considerations governing the decisions as to whom the law will anoint and license as parents. And with that elimination, a child's law-ratified parents need not be from coupled relationships and need not be limited to two persons. What Mr. Schaefer is saying here ties the new model for marriage to what must become a new model for the parent-child relationship if states no longer have any authority to recognize this pre-political reality of the husband-wife relationship, which he said was unique and central to a pre-existing family order. I, I, I hope that registers, and let me make sure it does by playing you here another clip from Mr. Schaefer that shows the consequence to the family and the relation of parent and child if Christians continue to acquiesce to the new world order and innovation in the standard for recognizing marriage that was articulated in Obergefell. Here's what he had to say. Thereby are blood ties nullified and replaced by the custodial wishes of state decision makers and the unrelated adults to whom children would be distributed. This is the repudiation of family as we have known it and indeed proposes a reimagining of human nature itself. In other words, what Mr. Schaefer is saying is that parental rights rooted in anything other than civil government permission is a goner. It's over. We've talked about in the previous podcast. It's been over 
since Pierce versus Society of Sisters in 1925, but Obergefell has now driven it home. And when that disconnection between parent and child is made by a nation in its laws, well, the fifth commandment about the relationship and the honoring of mother and father is, uh, can no longer have purchase or meaning in our minds or effect in our nation, and we will not be long in the land that is ours. Now, I know these last thoughts are sobering, but the times call for sobering words. There is no time to be saying, peace, peace. We must understand and discern the times if we are to know what to do. So consequently, if you have friends, even perhaps your pastor, who you think need to understand the direction in which the law and the Supreme Court is taking us, please share this podcast with them. But also tell them that next week, Lord willing, we'll begin to look at why we have hope that our work on issues like this is not futile and in vain. So I hope you will join me next week on the next episode of God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.